All right, everybody ready for Daniel chapter 10? Ready or not? All right, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12 are all part of the same vision, the final vision that Daniel has. And as we uh, begin to take a look at what the Lord has laid out for us tonight, tonight, hopefully, we'll see how many rabbit trails I follow, we should finish up chapter 10. Chapter 11 will probably take a couple of weeks. It's pretty technical uh, history lesson. And then uh, chapter 12 uh, after that. So a few more weeks and we'll wrap up the book of Daniel. As we look at it, Daniel's now probably in his mid-80s. So the children of Israel have already been called back to, uh, to go back to um, Israel. A very small percentage of the children of Israel who went into Babylon will come out 70 years later. The majority of people are satisfied with life in Babylon and they'll never come back. So in essence, what you have left that comes back to Israel is the remnant that God often talks about of those who, uh, who do want to follow him and, and be obedient to his word. He begins in, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was delivered to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, that's a good one to remember. It's a great conflict. There is not a lot of happy things laid out prophetically for uh, the people of Israel. And this was uh, nothing different. We've already talked about the 70 years, 70 weeks, right, rather, 77s, that were appointed for Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And while Daniel was worried about it because the Lord said, you're going there for 70 years, but if you don't learn, I'll multiply it by 7. And if you still don't learn, I'll multiply it by 7. And if you still don't learn it, I'll multiply it by 7. Leviticus chapter 26 lays out the idea that God can multiply judgment seven times, seven times, seven times, seven. It's a lot of, of judgment pouring out on the rebelliousness of the, of the children of Israel. So Daniel's worried about this. We see the 70 weeks that tells us when Messiah is going to come. But we also saw, right, in that prophecy, Messiah is going to be what? He's going to be cut off. So Messiah is going to come, be rejected, and killed. And then the end of Daniel says that the temple and the city will be destroyed and the ch children of Israel will be scattered. So it's a true word, it's a good word, but there's a lot of conflict, right? And there's more conflict on this vision that he received. He says, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So... You're going to see in a moment he's going to set his heart, his mind in prayer to understand, but he said he understands. So the point is he understands the words. He understands the, the illustration and the things that are talked about, but he does not understand how it's all going to work out. So it is a lot of heavy bad news for Daniel's people. Daniel's 85 years old, never married, never had any children. You would think somewhere along the line he would stop caring. But he never does. Scripture tells us in verse 3, it says, 
or in verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Now, a lot of times people will call this what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 10 as Daniel's fast. This is not Daniel's fast, and you've heard already some of my uh, concepts about fasting and what fasting's about and how, how fasting works out. Daniel's mourning, he, he received this vision, this word from God, and the vision was so heavy, he mourned about it for three weeks. For three weeks, he was in mourning. And in his mourning, he ate no, nothing. You ever been in such deep mourning you didn't eat? You skipped meals because you don't care. I'm not, I don't want to eat right now. I'm just so sorrowful. I'm so filled with mourning. This is where Daniel is. Where, where his concern for his people over the pronounced word of God led him to mourn for three weeks. He ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered his mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. So he didn't take any showers. Three weeks morning just freaked out about this word that the lord uh, was delivering to him and it says while this is going on on the 24th day of the month so i, I want you to keep track if we go back it says in the third year of king cyrus uh, this word came to daniel he understood the word and the vision in those days and mourned three weeks so we have 21 days right Three weeks, 21 days, we come back on the 24th day of the month. As I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and look and behold, a man clothed in linen. Now, there are a lot of opinions when we come with the beginning of Daniel's vision that he has after this time of mourning. Um, so if you want everybody else's opinion, go listen to them. Uh, this, in my opinion, this is Jesus. We're going to talk about it. This is Jesus coming to Daniel. Daniel's been in mourning. Daniel's been afraid. Daniel's been worried. And Jesus gives a vision of himself, his presence there with Daniel. Look, look what it says. It says, I lifted up my, high, my eyes, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now, because of the circumstances in Daniel chapter 10, we're going to be introduced to spiritual warfare in Daniel chapter 10. And because of that, many commentators and teachers will look at this, uh, what I believe is a vision of Christ, and they'll say, it can't be Christ, it has to be an angel, because they assume this angel, this vision is the one who is having difficulty with the prince of Persia. We'll see that in just a moment. But there's nothing in the text that says there's, they're both the same. You have an angel that's going to come and give him interpretation, and you have a vision of the Son of God. In the pit of his mourning and his sorrow, he's walking by a river, he lifts up his eyes, and he sees him. Now, I want you to think about that description we just read. If you got, I don't have time tonight, but if you have time, go to Ezekiel chapter 1, 
and read Ezekiel chapter 1. When Ezekiel saw God and the description of God there in Ezekiel chapter 1. But we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation is the revealing of Jesus the Christ, right? The unveiling of Jesus. It says, Revelation 1 verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze refined in the furnace, his voice like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When Daniel lifts up his eyes, Daniel chapter 10, 21 days of mourning, he's, he understands what he's been shown, but he, he doesn't understand how it's going to work out. Because in his mind, what he's been shown is the end of everything. And how are the people saved? And what's going to happen to Israel? And how does all that work out? These are the struggles that Daniel is dealing with. It says in, uh, back in Daniel 10, verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 9, and you read about Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus, and as he's on his way to Damascus, it says he comes face to face with Jesus the Christ. He sees a vision of Jesus. You remember he goes blind from it. He goes blind from it. But do you remember the interesting thing about all the people who were with him? They didn't see anything. But they were afraid. They fell down. But they didn't see anything. They didn't hear anything. But it was something that we see Saul here. Here Daniel sees the vision, but the men who were with him didn't see it. But listen, a great trembling (coughs) fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Again, if we look in Revelation chapter 6, we read, Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, crying out to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So when Jesus is appearing, we see these reactions like what we're reading about in Daniel chapter 10 taking place. So I believe the vision, the initial vision he sees, this is the Christ. So the answer to Daniel's issue is, what's our hope? Where's our salvation? How are we going to make this? How do we survive? The answer is what he sees. Jesus the Christ is your hope. The Messiah is your hope. He's your deliverer. He's your savior. He's the one who can carry you through. Through him, you will be able to stand. But all those who have no relationship to God, no desire for God, all the people standing around Daniel, they all scatter. And Daniel's left there alone. It says, so I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I had 
no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So he sees Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. What's his reaction? His reaction is just like John's reaction in Revelation chapter 1. He falls on the ground as though he's dead. He's so overwhelmed by the Christ, overwhelmed by him. In fact, Revelation 1.17, John writes, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And then it says in verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up. Now, I'm going to assert that the person he saw in the vision and the person who touched him and began to give him the interpretation of the vision are two different entities. They don't have to be. But it makes the interpretation that we'll look at later a little simpler. That he sees Jesus and then an angel ministers to him. Where we've seen angels minister to people in the Bible. Elijah on his face trying to quit. Ran so hard he had no strength. Who ministered to him? An angel. Jesus 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Being tempted by the devil. Who ministered to him? Angels. Right? They touch him. They fed him. They strengthened him. So here we see, I think, the same thing. Whoops, I see, we, we see the same thing right here. And it, this whole situation, the whole thing, you see how Daniel is trembling. In our world today, there is far too little trembling at the word of God. And far too much of just about every other Emotional reaction to the word. Not very much trembling. That will change one day. But it, it ought to be so in the hearts of believers. When we read the words of Christ. You know, most one of the things a lot of us have in common is we've discovered as we've been saved and touched by the spirit of God that it's hard for us not to cry anymore. Seems like craziest things will get us crying. Sometimes it's a song, sometimes something we read in the word, some, some way we're worshiping, some way we're praying, whatever. The Lord will touch our heart, and the next thing we know, you know, people who at one time maybe boasted on their toughness are in a, in a pile weeping because the power of God's word is affecting those who are reading it. Now it says, listen, this one says, Daniel... You are greatly loved. You are greatly loved of God. And so he says, I want you, I've been sent to you to give you understanding. Now the voice of God, the Bible says, is enough to cause incredible fear. We read about that in Psalm 29. In Psalm 29, verse 3, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. 
The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. It shakes the wilderness, shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. So the sound of the voice, remember what he said about the sound of the voice? It sounded like, like a multitude. When John talked about it, it said it sounded like the roaring. Have you ever been at, a, at the rapids or at a big waterfall and just hear the power of the water? This is what scripture describes when it describes the voice of God. And so we see this one coming to Daniel to give him, to provide for him, some understanding. So then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So Daniel, and he's he remember he he receives this vision, he receives this word, it causes him to mourn for three weeks in his mourning, he's crying out to God, and on the very first day. God responded and dispatched this angel standing before Daniel now to give him interpretation on the first day. How many days had he been weeping? 21 days. What took so long? He says in verse 13, he tells us, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So this is why many people will say, now I don't don't think you have to, but many people will say it's not Jesus talking anymore. This is an angel who was withheld on his attempt to come and bring word to, uh, to Daniel by the prince of Persia. Now, I don't want us to get too confused, nor do I want us to get very derailed. But we know that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So the Bible talks about a spiritual reality where things that we can't see are happening. Yes? And this particular angel, whether it's angel or Jesus, you understand why it would be an issue if it's Jesus, right? If it's Jesus, how come he got held up by the prince of Persia? Now, my simple answer, if I have to say this is Jesus and there's not two of them, this has to be one person, then I'd say Jesus chose to wait at the prince of Persia until Michael came and dealt with him. He, the prince of Persia, he sat there under the prince of Persia and waited for Michael to come set him free. He's God. He can do it any way he wants. Just because it don't fit in your head doesn't mean God can't do it. Has God ever done something you couldn't understand? But I think the initial vision is of Jesus. And then I think we're probably talking about <coughs> Gabriel again, but he doesn't name himself, so maybe not. And so this angel comes to him and says, hey, I, I was coming right away to help you have understanding to the things you saw, but the prince of Persia held me. So there was a spiritual battleground or battle taking place 
that slowed the answer of the prayer Daniel had uh, at following Daniel chapter 9, coming into Daniel chapter 10, uh, uh, there's, that slowed the answer. The answer was slowed by spiritual battles that we can't see. And perhaps some of those spiritual battles are doozies, right? Whatever took place, there's a prince of Persia, and there is a prince of Israel. We don't know the name of the prince of Persia. What's the name of the prince of Israel? It's not Jesus. What is it? The prince of Israel. The prince of your people. His name is Michael. Michael means who is like our God. So he is an archangel, right? One of the archangels that the scripture names. Michael the archangel. And so he has authority over a geographical region. We're going to read about it in Daniel chapter 10. The, the angel is going to say, Michael is the prince of your people. There's a prince of Persia. And in chapter 10, in a few verses, he's going to say, when I leave here, the prince of Greece is going to come against me too. So he's already named three princes, spiritual entities, over geographical areas that are in battle in the spiritual plane that you and I can't recognize. What do you think the spiritual world looks like right now? You don't think there's a prince of Russia? You don't think there are spiritual entities that are moving the bible says that there will come a time when the lord is going to bind satan so that he can't deceive the nations and i don't want you to be confused it doesn't mean nobody's going to do evil things when satan's bound it means he cannot bring the nations geographical areas to battle against god's people what's that last battle called armageddon we read about it again in chapter 20 in the in the time of the kingdom of the battle of Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog coming together in battle again. What did Satan do? He deceived the nations to do what? Rebel against God. Okay, you guys see the point? So how is it that Satan deceives the nation? We think he's going to go talk to all the presidents. He's going to go talk to the kings and the prime ministers. Or maybe he's just going to call the princes in the spiritual realm. Hey, you need to get your guys down here. You need to get your guys down here. You, you need to get your guys down here. We too often live our lives in a physical realm as though there's no such thing as the spiritual realm. It doesn't exist. But the spiritual realm exists. There are supernatural forces at play. There is supernatural power God has given to His people through His Spirit. Uh, these are realities. You read about them in the Bible all the time, right? Don't you? Don't you see the stories there? Don't you see the events that Scripture talks about? And so we don't want to be of those who say, I don't understand what, what this is all talking about. The Bible tells a story. In Genesis, from the beginning to chapter 11, the Bible tells us in that section <clears throat> the concept of the fall of man, the, the fall of man, the uh, corruption of man and the rebellion of man. 
Man falls in the garden. Man's corrupted in chapter 6 by the angels. Man rebels with Nimrod in, uh, what, around chapter 10, something like that. And the confusion of the nations and the people scatter. And then the story of the Bible begins in chapter 12 with God calling Abram and making his own peculiar people. And when those nations are scattered, according to Deuteronomy chapter 32, um, verse 8, when the nations were scattered, God gave angels responsibility over geographical areas. Deuteronomy 32.8, it says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, Tower of Babel, right? When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Beni Elohim. He set angels over geographical areas. Some of those angels are fallen. Are all of them fallen? Probably not. But some of them, for sure. Prince of Persia, probably. Prince of Greece, maybe. You know, the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time talking about all these things, and maybe that would be things that would interest us. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to read a book. It's not a great theological book, but it's a great story. It's called uh, Piercing the Darkness and This Present Darkness. Yeah. And so <clears throat> they kind of, it's a, it's a fictional story about supernatural realm of angels. But it opens the door a little bit to the idea that, that this is stuff that's written about in Scripture. So you have the, the, the nations, people all gathered together. All mankind is together in one place. And what's his goal when he's all together? His goal is to rebel against God. So God at the Tower of Babel scatters the people. And he gives angels uh, responsibility geograph over geographical areas. So, hey, you go and guide the people. You go guide the people. You go. The That's why Psalm 82 is God's judgment of the angels who did not lead the nations properly. If you read Psalm 82... You will, you will see those same phrases there in the psalm. So, <clears throat> back to Daniel. We see Daniel, this angel saying, Look, I come right away, but the prince of Persia held me. And uh, so Michael came, one of the chief princes. That's, that's a, a phrase for, um, he is a, an archangel, right? One of, the, one of the chief. And he came to me, uh, for I was left there with the king's, of Persia. And verse 14, he goes on. He says, And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So he's going to start getting in. Now we're just going to see the groundwork laid here in chapter 10. You're going to see the vision that's future to Daniel passed to us in chapter 11. And you're going to see the vision that's future to Daniel and future to us in chapter 12 as we continue working through. So we'll see these things laid out. So I want you to know this is again about who? Daniel's, the prophecies of Daniel are for who? Israel. And the, the Daniel's people and their holy city. Israel and Jerusalem. And the vision is for when? 
many days yet to come. So it's future to Daniel, all of it. And we'll see some of it is past to us and some of it is yet future to us. <clears throat> this is for the nation of Israel. Now, verse 15. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can the Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath remains in me. We see his strength drying up just like John's. And the, the power of the vision that was given to John, and the power of the vision here that is, uh, that is given to Daniel. So, so again, the, um, and, and again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. Now, what is the purpose of an angel? The Bible teaches us that angels are ministering spirits. What does a ministering spirit do? Well, in the story of Elijah, it strengthened him so that he could continue running away from God. But eventually, when he got to the cave, God met him in the cave and got him turned around and set back in the right direction. When Jesus needed ministered to at the Mount of, of um, uh, what am I trying to say? No, that's not the one I'm trying to say. It doesn't matter. You know, they, I remember my dad just losing words. Nope. You can't crawl in my head. It's not a name of a mountain. We'll just call it the Mount of Temptation for now. <clears throat> Actually, he's out in the desert. But anyways, when he's in the time of temptation, angels come and minister to him and strengthen him, right? So when, when Peter, when Paul's in jail and he's at the end of himself and he wants to quit and he's, the Bible says an angel comes to him and strengthens him. When Peter's in jail and they're praying for Peter to get out of jail, what happens? An angel comes and ministers to Peter, right? So, so we see this action taking place. And Daniel, this angel, comes and he touches him so that he is again able to stand. And he says again to him, <clears throat> O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. It's going to be okay, Daniel. It's going to be all right. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak. For you have strengthened me. Now, Scripture tells us uh, when Elijah received the sustenance from the angel when he was under the broom tree running away from Jezebel, he ran on the power of that one meal and that one interaction with an angel for 40 days. Any of you guys ever run for 40 days? Yeah, I hope never to run 40 days. I wouldn't run 40 days if a bear was chasing me. It's, oh, I'd rather it just end quick. I'll just lay down. But 20 minutes, he should be done eating me. <clears throat> so he is strengthened. He stands, and he's ready to, to understand what's going on. When Jesus <clears throat> was speaking to the disciples on the heaviest day, the last night before the cross, what did he say in John 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
He also said in verse 27 of John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16, the Lord said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now nowhere in scripture did the Lord promise us that as we go through life here, that we were always, it was just going to be a bowl of cherries. Please do not be confused with tribulation and the tribulation period. So we view the tribulation period as a period of time in which God is pouring out his wrath. As such, under that definition, the church will not enter into the wrath of God. Right? Does that mean no one in the church will be hungry? Does that mean no one in the church will be persecuted? You guys know the answer to this because we can see it all around the world. Does it mean no one in the church will ever go through hard times? Does it mean we won't endure the collapse of a nation? No. Does it mean we won't endure such incredible hardship that we can't even begin to imagine? No. It doesn't mean we won't endure all those things. The Lord said, in this world you will have tribulation. He's not saying you will have the wrath of God because God's angry at you because you're so wicked. Why is he not saying that? Because you're covered in the blood of Christ. The wrath of God was borne by Christ. He shelters you from the wrath of God. The ultimate wrath of God is a place called hell. Are you going to hell as a believer? No. So we will not face the wrath of God, but we will obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But please do not be confused. That does not mean that our nation couldn't go under some crazy hard times and there be no food at the supermarket. That doesn't make the time we're in the tribulation period. I've got about six texts so far about who the Antichrist is this week. So, <clears throat> and I, I don't know. I'd love to tell you no, but I, don't, I can't see the future. But... Nowhere does the Bible tell us to figure out who the Antichrist is. What does it tell us to do? Live our lives so that we'll be ready when we are found by Jesus Christ. Amen? So it doesn't matter who the Antichrist is. It's not going to help you. If you figure it out, you don't get a special crown in heaven. And we should be thankful that if we get it wrong, <clears throat> we don't get, you know, 39 lashes in heaven for having it wrong. So... The, the point is there will be a world leader who binds up all the armies of men to one goal, and that one goal is rebellion against God. The same thing we saw all the way back in the Tower of Babel. And this time, God will come and destroy the armies of Gog and Magog. That's, that's what the future holds for that. For God's people, his church... They will not face the wrath of God. Everybody understands? No wrath of God. It does not mean that you will be spared the wrath of our president. Or the wrath of, you know, some other lawmaker or, or somebody who comes against the church and to persecute the church. 
We have brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution every day. They're not in the tribulation period. They're just facing persecution, the hatred of the world. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome. But we will, we will not receive tribulation from God. Do we understand the difference? It's an important concept for us to make sure we have <clears throat> settled, right? No wrath from God. We were once children of wrath, but now we are children of God, right? This is what the Bible declares. <clears throat> so, Daniel 10, <clears throat> verse 20. Then he said to me, do you know why I have come to you? <clears throat> but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So there's another guy going to join the fight. <clears throat> so you had a fight between this angel and the prince of Persia. And then he says, Michael came and got me loose. But when he goes back, the prince of Greece is going to join the prince of Persia. So now there's two on two. You guys see it? So there's, that's a spiritual battlefield we can't see. So I know sometimes we think when we're praying and, Lord, where are you at? And I've been praying about this a long time. But you have no idea what's going on in the spiritual realms. So the scripture challenges us to trust God. Don't assume you know one way or the other. You guys heard of a fella named Elisha? I always get Elisha and Elijah confused. I don't, it's like twins. Why do you name them close to each other? God called Elijah, and then after Elijah left the cave, he had him go anoint Elisha just to confuse Jackie 3,000 years later. So, so Elisha, he's got the armies of the king all around him. They want to they whoop him. They're, this is a Jackie paraphrase of the story. So Elisha's just chill. He's, got his, he's sitting down on his couch. He's got his feet up on it. And his servant is like, Elisha, dude, there's armies all around us. They're going to slaughter us. Why are you not freaking out? And Elisha's like, man, why are you freaking out? God's got this. What are you worried about? Do you not see the armies out there? There's thousands and thousands of soldiers that have come against us. And Elisha said, there are more for us than there are against us. And the servant was like, you are off your lid. I don't know what you're talking about. You remember how the story ends? Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. And then he opens his eyes and he can see in the spiritual realm and the armies of the Lord are encamped around him. Does the Bible say something like that? It definitely does. The armies of the Lord being encamped around his people. And so you have all these, these angel armies gathered around Elisha. And when the servant sees it, he's able to calm down. Sit down on the couch next to Elisha and put his feet up. He's like, all right, you're right. God's got this. If we understood what the Old Testament prophets understood... When we are despairing about our circumstances and the things around us, and we are thinking, why isn't God doing anything? When in reality, what you can't see, the battles that are taking place in the spiritual realm, because you don't know they're there, doesn't mean it's not happening. 
Does it? So why the Bible gives us a little bit of insight into it? Well, why doesn't God show it to me? Because he wants you to believe what he said. I am for you, not against you. You ever felt like that was backwards? You ever felt like God must be against me? Everything's breaking, everything's falling apart, everything's going the pot. But what God's word to you is, uh -uh, it's not falling apart, it's falling into place. You just can't see it, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. Daniel chapter 10 is here to help us understand that God knows where all the pieces go. And there are parts that are in movement that you can't see that are it's still happening. God is moving on your behalf. Your, your sorrow, your pain, your hurt, your illness, your sickness, your struggle. God is still moving in that place. This angel wants Daniel to know there's more battlegrounds out there. In verse 21 he says, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, those other angels, except Michael. What's it say? Your prince. Michael is the archangel for Israel. The only one we know the name of. The others are unnamed. Angels over other geographical areas. And so Michael is the one who is supporting this angel. Now, I want you to understand, and we're just, I'm just going to read one more scripture tonight, and we'll close and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the vision next time. <clears throat> but Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 7, listen to what it says. Revelation 12, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Did you hear that? Sometimes people ask me, how come there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? Oh, well, let me read it to you. War arose in heaven. What? Is that what it says? War arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Who's the dragon? And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver <coughs> of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you on the earth and sea, for the devil has come down in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. So, when this battle takes place, I don't know. But the Bible declares to us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses believers before God, night and day. And there will come a day <clears throat> when the Lord looks over at Michael, who's been probably, you know, chained up to a stake, and finally God says, okay, Michael, 
they got to go. And whether that has occurred in the past or that is yet to occur in the future is less relevant. There will be a day when there will be a battle in heaven and the angels, the evil angels, the fallen angels will be cast out. And they will come to earth. And they will know they only have a short time left. Now, I would argue that they do not have more than seven years, maybe as few as three and a half years, but I would argue that that's the moment when those things happen. When Christ calls his church home, there's no need for an accuser then. The blood of Christ has paid the price for the sins of men. The accuser is cast out. And when that battle of Armageddon takes place, Revelation chapter 19, then we will see the kingdom of God where he will reign forever and ever. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, it's 8.05. I am going to give you the book of Revelation in a minute and a half. You ready? I have to drink something if I'm going to do it. All right. Revelation chapter 1, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches, which indicate every church on earth, past, present, and future, different circumstances that they're going in, and Christ's instruction to the church that looks like whatever church, what they should do, how they should be the church Jesus Christ wants them to be. Chapter 4 and 5, we see the church that was so uh, prominent in the first three chapters of Revelation in heaven. The church is in heaven, Revelation 4 and 5, and they sing the song of the redeemed, cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. What crowns? The crowns they receive because they loved his appearing. That's what the Bible declares. In chapter 6, we see the beginning of the tribulation period. Chapter 6 through 19 cover the last seven years, what we call the tribulation period, which will culminate in the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet when the Antichrist stands in a temple that is not built yet today, but I wouldn't imagine it would take more than a couple of years to build. He will stand in a holy place in the temple and declare himself to be God. Then we see the final three and a half years, which will culminate with a battle called the Battle of... Armageddon, where Jesus Christ and his saints will return. Yes, Jesus Christ and the church will return at the battle of Armageddon, but you're just an observer. You're not going to do anything. Jesus doesn't need your help. <clears throat> He's going to come back and destroy the armies gathered in the fields of Arm Armageddon in the plains of Megiddo. He's going to destroy them with the word of his mouth. So it's not, he's, I don't, I'm not even sure he's going to work up a sweat. Revelation chapter 20, you have the kingdom. You have a thousand-year reign of Christ that culminates in one last deception from Satan to bring the nations one more time in rebellion against God just to prove that mankind is not uh, um, driven by his environment. Even in a perfect environment, man will rebel if his heart is not changed. Then 
we see the battle, uh, Gog and Magog, right there in Revelation chapter 20, that's going to lead us straight to the great white throne judgment, which is a judgment for which all the world will stand. The names written in the Lamb's Book of Life will enter into the new heaven and the new earth. The names not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they go to hell. Then Revelation 21, 22, you have a new heaven and a new earth, and we live happily ever after. That's the eschaton. That's the end. To try to, I'm just trying to keep all the pieces because I know sometimes we talk about things. I don't want you to get confused about where things are going and how we're going to get there. Amen? If you are confused, just yell at me. I'll be happy to confuse you more. Sound like a plan? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you that we can come together. Study your word, Lord, and I thank you for Daniel chapter 10, the point of which is just to open our eyes to the reality that there is a spiritual battleground all around us. And just because we have never seen it doesn't mean it's not there. Daniel was driven to despair because of the things he saw, and in his despair, there was a spiritual battleground being laid around him, which delayed the answer and the comfort of the angel that came to him uh, three weeks later. And God, I thank you for the word you're going to deliver us. This next week, we're going to have a pretty incredible history lesson, which was future to Daniel. It's history to us. So we can see the authenticity of the word that the angel brought to Daniel. But then we can also look at chapter 12 for the future and trust that that is going to be just as authentic as what we saw fulfilled in the past. Lord, we know that all of time is in your hands. You are the father of time. You are in control of it all. No matter how things look today, no matter how twisted or, or crazy that we see on the news, Lord, you have challenged us. Our master has gone away and left us as stewards of the gospel that he left in our possession. And he has asked us to take the gospel he's given us and to share it with others, just like the parable of the talents or the minas. And there will be a day when the master will come home for a reckoning with his servants. Lord, I pray that we would be ready because we have been faithful to use that which you have given us to glorify you. So God, be glorified and magnified in this place. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.